Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. The great Bruce Arians summarizing the lack of interest in Odo Beckham Jr. by boiling it down to initials. He's MS and I'm MF. It's hard growing up with the initials MF. It, it's fitting, but it's not easy, Miles. It's not easy at all. Good afternoon, I, MS. How are you? I think people might put um, in a letter A before your initials sometimes, Mike, when they're talking about you. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Brings back a lot of bad right. memories. Oh, this really? This is going to be Does a bad it? show. Yes. I guess so. Let's have some We're fun. Let's have some fun. Uh, is, is TC joining us? I, uh, is he, do we have Tom Curran in segment two? We do, not, we do not have Tom Curran in segment two. This is the kind of preparation that I do. When you come to this show at 5 <laughs> o'clock Eastern, I have spent the whole day focusing on this hour because this <laughs> – is where the magic happens. Why did you Odell think Beckham Tom Curran was going to be on? <laughs> What's that? Why did you think Tom was going to be on today? Because we were talking about the possibility. No, no, we were talking about the possibility of Tom Curran being on, but I, I try to work out before the show. So I, I get to a point where while I'm getting in my workout so I can go have a big dinner and not feel guilty about it, that sometimes I lose track of exactly what we're doing. And at one point it did appear that we were going to have Tom Curran on, but I never did button it up. And, and frankly, I forgot to ask before we were live. So I'm asking now. There are no okay. pretenses here. We are not going to behave as if we are anything other than we aren't. We are immunized and we are sometimes not fully prepared. But that's okay. We're not prepared for what's going to happen with Odell Beckham Jr. either. And I, I, I'll peel back the curtain just a little bit. And, Miles, you know about this because I've sent out the text on the PFT chain. Somebody texted me a couple of hours ago. And, and I, look, we didn't report this. I haven't tweeted it. I haven't breathed a word of it anywhere. I'm just giving you guys an idea of how the sausage is made. Somebody told me Odell Beckham Jr. is going to the Chiefs. Well, I'm not reporting that until I know it can be confirmed. So I, and, and I accepted the possibility that while I'm trying to confirm it, someone else will report it. But two hours later, I don't see Odell Beckham Jr. reportedly going to the Chiefs. So it was either premature or inaccurate, or it's this big mystery that they're somehow keeping close to the vest for now that is impossible to be confirmed and no one has reported. But that's something that I'm going to be keeping a close eye on over the course of the next hour, whether or not the news hits that Odell Beckham Jr. has indeed chosen the Kansas City Chiefs. And, you know... That would be a little bit of a surprise because the momentum has been pointing toward the Saints, Miles, and I think it comes down to what role does Odell Beckham Jr. want with his new team. And it's a sliding scale. New Orleans, number one receiver, unquestioned. Slip right into the Michael Thomas number 13 and off you go. Kansas City, you're not the number one guy, but you got a better quarterback. So that's where he has to make that value judgment where he wants to be, and only he knows how to balance the various factors and make a decision as to which team he wants to play for. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I frankly, if it, if it's me, I think that I would want to be with Kansas City because I think that they have a better shot at at least making the playoffs right now, based on the way things are going. I mean, I, I don't. I think New Orleans' defense is really good, but I don't know that I trust Trevor Simeon or Taysom Hill, whichever quarterback Sean Payton decides to go with. Um, more than I would trust Patrick Mahomes. But, you know, I, I think it's like you said, he has to weigh whether or not he wants to be that number one wide receiver and get all of the targets and it'll be the guy where he was not um, with my Cleveland Browns, as you like to say, or, you know, do you want to go to Kansas City and have a better shot at, at winning a championship? Or do you want to go to a place like Green Bay where they have a better record and, you know, you're going to be playing second fiddle to Devontae Adams, but that probably is the best team situation or still, you know, at least it seemed like at first, the Seahawks were going to be a very viable option. Do you want to go there and really help try to chase things where you'd still not be the primary option there, probably because they would probably rotate the way the targets go around between him and also uh, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. So there, there's just a lot of different factors and there's a lot of different pros and cons probably that Beckham has to weigh for this decision. And one very big factor here, and just so we're clear on how the money works, he agreed to waive $3 million of the termination pay he would have been entitled to receive from the Cleveland Browns. Guarantees and offsets don't come into play here. Termination pay is money that you get and you get to keep. If you're a vested veteran and you are released after week one, if you're on the roster at week one and you're released after that, you get the full amount of your remaining salary as termination pay, unreduced by anything you make anywhere else. However, the Browns and Odo Beckham Jr. provided a roadmap that a lot of other teams weren't aware of as i understand it this ability to reduce or flat out forfeit your termination pay was added to the 2020 cba it was not in the 2011 cba i've seen some claims on twitter that it's happened in the past teams were under the impression generally not every team i didn't pull every team but the people that i know were under the impression that you can't waive termination pay well you can now and the browns and beckham agreed that three million dollars of the potential termination pay is gone. So he needs $3 million to break even with where he would have been under his Cleveland contract. But it's not just what are you going to make the rest of this year, Miles. It's what are you setting yourself up to make next year. So if there's a team like the Seahawks offering you $3 million, okay, great, I make all my money, but I'm going to be second fiddle, third fiddle, who knows what in Seattle. And they like to run the ball. And am I really going to see the ball? Am I going to get to do the things that will set me up for a big contract next year? If I go to New Orleans, Sean Payton's going to design the offense all around me. I'm going to be the guy. Sean Payton's going to brainstorm all these plays, how to get me the ball, even with Trevor Simeon or Taysom Hill. And, and that's part of it, too. With the Chiefs, maybe you're playing deep into January and into February and in the Super Bowl and everybody's sitting home while their seasons are over, watching me play. It's a complicated process because it's money this year versus whatever he can make as a free agent. And the better he plays and the bigger the plays he makes and the more buzz he creates, more money as a free agent. Right. So I think this sort of sets up a, a couple of questions, right? Like, A, if there were, say, let's call it a multi-year deal on the table, would that maybe be worth it for Beckham Jr. in order to get himself maybe a little more guaranteed money up front as opposed to just betting on himself and saying, listen, I'm going to go and I'm maybe going to get $3 million. Or I'm going to get whatever else I'm going to get right now to set myself up 
um, for the rest of this season for free agency there in March, where I kind of get to go through this process again, where a bunch of teams sort of want me. And, you know, they say, well, it'd be great to have you. And here's why. And here's all the money that we're going to give you. And then I think the other part of it is then, all right, well, where does that necessarily mean that he's going to be able to maximize his skills the most, right? Because again, I think you have to factor the quarterback in here, whether it's Sean Payton designing the plays or not. Like I said before, Trevor Simeon and Taysom Hill don't excite me as, you know, possibly somebody who's going to get me the ball, right? And I guess, you know, he did play with Eli Manning and we can have debates on whether Eli Manning was really that great of a quarterback or not. And I think, frankly, Beckham Jr. probably extended his career, Eli Manning's career, a couple years longer than it maybe should have been um, given the way how well Beckham Jr. played those first few years that he had in the league. So I I guess it's, it's still, you know, how does he really want to weigh the fact that, okay, I can really get the ball versus, you know, maybe there's a team that wants to guarantee me a little bit more up front. Does, Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And that's the other side of it, too. Is it just a one-year deal, or does somebody want to secure his rights beyond 2022? If I'm Odo Beckham Jr., my preference is to go back to the market in 22 unless I get a significant guaranteed payday now with a team where I believe I'm going to be part of the future and they're going to be building around me. And, you know, maybe the Saints can do something on a multi-year deal, and Sean Payton can say to OBJ, hey, you know what? Here's who I think our quarterback's going to be next year. Wink, wink, nod, nod. So there's a lot of variables that go into it. So the Chiefs are a team that we're going to continue to keep an eye on over the course of the remainder of this hour and beyond because I have reason to pay attention to the Chiefs. I've yet to confirm what I was told. We're not reporting it, but we're watching very carefully to see if the Chiefs are in play. There was a thought earlier this afternoon that the Saints were the team that was going to get Odell Beckham Jr. The Patriots are in on it. I don't know how serious Beckham is about playing for the Patriots. And I don't know, Miles, where he lands on the spectrum of Randy Moss, who took to the Patriot way perfectly for three years. It lasted three years, but it was it was a great run while he was there. Or Chad Johnson, who was never able to accept and adopt and be himself in that environment. And I think with Chad Johnson, his inability to be that that Chad with a lot of flair and personality that affected his his performance so OBJ's always been more of an individual can he subsume that quality can he become one of the I used to call them the Stepford Patriots I haven't called them that in a while but you know <laughs> basically the the robots that Bill Belichick wants being all about team, only team, no complaining, no excuses, no anything other than you do what you're told as part of a broader machine that is trying to achieve a greater goal. And we won't know until he's actually there if he even goes there. I would say this about Odell Beckham Jr. We didn't really hear him complaining about anything with the Browns until last week, right? So, I mean, and all of those teammates that are now his ex-teammates have really called him I'm a model citizen, a model teammate. And they've said really good things about him. Young receivers have said, thank you for the way that you've helped me and, you know, helped shape my career um, as it has just started. So I, I don't know if he could or could not adapt to that. I think that as long as he's in a situation where he's getting targets and he's making plays, he's still going to be kind of happy. And I think Devonte Adams put it like this earlier today, right? It, it's sort of like, well, 
He got one target and had one catch for six yards in his last game with the Browns. It's a little bit easy to just kind of exceed that on your ter- in terms of a bar, right, for where the performance is right now. So I guess as long as a team gets him the ball at this point and lets him show off his receiving ability, I don't see him necessarily being a problem child, especially – Because at this point now, he's going to be able to pick his destination. So if you pick your destination and you still are a pain in the rear end, that's not going to be a good factor for you going into whatever your free agency is if you have it next March. Yeah, I mean, that is absolutely the right way to view it. He has to be a model citizen with his next team if he wants to lay the foundation to be embraced when he becomes a free agent, if he becomes a free agent in March of 2022. You mentioned the Packers. That's another team that's been linked to Odell Beckham. And you mentioned Devontae Adams. Let's hear from what he said earlier today, Devontae Adams, on the possibility of OBJ becoming a member of the GBP. I haven't um, been in a situation where two, you know, of the the league's, you know, premier guys, you know, obviously it's been a different situation with him over the past few years, but – Everybody knows what he's still about, so um, I don't think there's a whole lot of doubt as far as what he can do. So um, it'll be different, I'm sure, but it's you know I, I'm pretty secure in in what I bring to this offense and this team, um, and I know what his mindset is based off what he just came from. He'd be happy to deal with you know whatever at this point. I mean, he had one catch like six yards in his last game, so I can guarantee you we can get him more than that over here. So. Uh, As long as he's good with two catches, 12 yards, we should be straight. (laughs) That's funny. Uh, Look, I wonder wonder about the mixture of the personalities, OBJ and Aaron Rodgers. I just wonder. And I just wonder. (laughs) I wonder. Don't you? Don't you wonder? I, I... you know, you better I you better go Aaron in there. Rodgers with anybody at this point, man. Based well, on the right, exactly. You've about him over the last week and but, a half. But if but if you're Odell Beckham Jr., you got to go in there and kiss the ring. Aaron Rodgers isn't going to be kissing any rings. He's the king in Green Bay, and 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 I wonder if that's a factor in this two miles after two and a half years of dealing with Baker Mayfield. And I frankly do think that Baker's got a little bit of the responsibility for the failure of OBJ to really work. And I said from the moment they traded for Odell. Cleveland isn't big enough for both of these personalities. Just as Baker was morphing into the new LeBron, here comes OBJ. At a time when OBJ was a much bigger deal, it's like, is this really going to work? Is this really going to work? So my point Baker is this. being LeBron. I, I mean, I know he, what no, the point you're yeah, You know yeah, what I'm saying. Slow, slow down rewind. Wait, blah, blah, blah. Rewind to January, February 2019. The vibe. I know. It was, I know. We're finally, we're finally, hey, the, you know, we put the fire out on the river, baby. Let's go surfing. That was the attitude. All right. The fire out on the river. Let's go. Nobody's surfing on the Cuyahoga River, first of all. We're in Lake Erie. So if I, a really no, big boat goes be. by, you can catch uh, a wave. Hang 10. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I mean, I think the more apt comparison as a Clevelander would be Bernie Kosar, not LeBron James. LeBron James is, you know, LeBron James, like, was the sort of the basis of the downtown Cleveland economy for years and years and years because. You know, that's just the way things work down there. I mean, when LeBron James was there, everything was, you know, that East 4th Street was, you know, going up and everything. I, the point is, he's not as big as LeBron and he never will be. It's cause this, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But if he wins a Super Bowl, then yeah, but he's not. Like, let's right. let's pump the brakes a little bit, all right? But, but my point is, how I'm much sorry. of his experience with Baker Mayfield 
will be a factor for Odell Beckham Jr. Because he okay. had Johnny Milktoast as his quarterback in New York for the first six years of his career in Eli Manning. Eli Manning's not getting in a fight oh, with anybody, right? Right? Am I wrong? Now, look, look we're starting no. to see some personality well, from him on TV. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Johnny <laughs> Double Bear Middle Finger now. What, yeah. a, what a change. What a transformation. But as a football player, Eli Manning was not a guy that had a, a lot of sound and fury. And all I'm saying is, as you're laying out the various factors, and hey, sometimes having choices is difficult because you know what? happens when you have choices at some point you got to pick a door you got three four five doors hey odell which one are you going to take and is it playing time uh how much am i going to get the football how much money am i going to make do they want to sign me for one year or do they want me to sign a three-year deal and is my quarterback any good and am i going to get along with my quarterback so I, I think i just i'm just saying miles that has to be a factor somewhere yeah. in the analysis Given what he likely dealt with in Cleveland, where, whether it was his fault, Baker's fault, everybody's fault, nobody's fault, it seems like those two didn't get along. So as I'm making my next decision, that experience is going to, I think, be something I'm at least curious about as it relates to the guy who's going to decide whether or not I get the football. Oh, yeah. I, and then I think that that makes totally good sense. I, I think that you have to factor in, you know, whether or not you're actually going to have chemistry with the quarterback of the team that you decide that you want to sign with. I think those things are extremely important. Look, if you're not a fit for the environment that you're in, you're probably not going to be successful. And I think that that's not just football, that's in life. You know, you could be in any job, any industry, and maybe you're just not the right fit for that organization. You're going to have a bad time. Like, I think that that's just the way life works. So, I mean, I, I feel like it's this sort of weird protracted free agency thing that you've got to go through in the middle of the season. And if you're not going to be a good fit for that locker room, then it's going to be a problem wherever you go, despite how much money you may be making. So I, I don't know how he's going to be able to sort of measure that or quantify that um, in terms of the way things are working right now. But yeah, I think that wherever Beckham Jr. goes, he's got to make sure he is a fit for not just that offense, but also that locker room, um, because otherwise it's just not going to end well. Yeah, look, I agree with everything you're saying, and we just continue this vigil, the puff of white smoke that may or may not come from the... Uh, is it white smoke that comes from the Vatican chimney when they have a new pope? I can't remember. It's probably white think, smoke. I black it smoke. Is. I believe it Black is. smoke would not be a good sign. I don't think Seems black ominous, smoke would right? be yeah. what you would want to go with when there's a new pope. So a puff of of whatever Keller smoke is of the team that he's going to join, that's the Keller smoke that we're waiting for. Could be red, could be gold, could be green. Who knows? We'll see what happens. Okay, one last point real quickly. Um as it relates to this termination pay wrinkle. And, and again, I, I, people were, I've been talking to general managers about this for the past few days. Not all of them. But people were like, oh, well, they, well, how are they going to? It was a big question. Friday, Saturday, and, and really into Monday. How are the Browns and Odell Beckham Jr. going to deal with this contract of his to reduce Cleveland's financial liability while also making the contract itself not attractive on waivers? And the leverage that the Browns had was they had the right under his contract to say, you know what, we're going to convert 
all of the balance of your salary to a signing bonus, drop your remaining salary down to the prorated minimum, and then you're going to get claimed on waivers by somebody because all they're doing is picking up the minimum for the rest of the year. You're going to be screwed if we do that, so play ball the way we want. The end result was that he waived $3 million of potential termination pay. And it used to be you couldn't do that. That's my understanding, and that's the understanding of the people I know. And maybe I just know the dumb GMs, but let me tell you, some of them got some uh, hardware on the wall, so you, uh, you can't, you know, it, maybe they won Super Bowls despite the skills and abilities of these individuals. Uh, that said, there's now a concern that because people understand how this works, it's going to open Pandora's box. And one of the themes that we hear every August, you've got a vested veteran who's got a you know, $5 million salary. The guy gets cut because you don't want to have his salary, as a practical matter, fully guaranteed. Well, now what will happen is they're going to, they're going to approach some of these veterans and maybe guys who weren't even in trouble and say, hey, we want you to waive your termination pay or you may get cut. And, and they've opened Pandora's box, potentially, as it relates to the squeezing of vested veterans every August to agree to waive all or part of their termination pay. That's something that's never happened in August. As of next August, thanks to this OBJ thing, Miles, it's something that we're going to be keeping an eye on. It's something most fans don't care about. But let me tell you, if you're one of these players and, and, and you're looking at getting cut if you say no, it's going to be something you care about. Oh, no doubt about it. I just I think it's interesting, especially the way you wrote about it, you know, a PFT where it's, well, this is Pandora's box and people weren't realizing it. It's like a good argument for why you should always read the terms and conditions on you know, anything that you're saying that, yes, I accept this because like you can maybe find something that is of your benefit. I mean, and if you are team general manager, salary cap managers, any of those different types of positions, then yeah, like this is a tool that you can use for your benefit and for your team's benefit. So, I mean, I think that teams always use whatever they can to make sure that they're squeezing every single penny that they can out of the salary cap so that they can make moves in season in order to help improve their team. And frankly, I mean, when you're talking about guys who are veterans who might get cut in favor of younger players. That was something that we talked about a lot before this season, based on the fact that the salary cap had gone down of significant amount, you know, tens of millions of dollars from where people expected it to be pre pandemic. I mean, this is just something that teams, I think, as you put, they're just going to use in order to make sure that they have as much money as they possibly can to use on other players. And it's just something that teams always do anyway. All right, let's uh, let's pivot now to another story that came up out of the blue last night. And I'm still irritated about how it all developed. The tweet from Adam Schefter regarding Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook is the victim of domestic abuse and extortion, according to agent Zach Hiller. Here's the exact language. Running back Dalvin Cook is the victim of domestic abuse and extortion. There's pending litigation, according to his agent, Zach Hiller. And we we don't need to drag Schefter. He's been dragged all day long, and rightfully so. But what happened was I got a text from Zach Hiller because, I look, I know I, I, it may surprise some of you that after doing this for 20 years, I've actually gotten to know some of the people in the business. I mean, they all come to the website every day. God forbid that, you know, I had to get to know some of them. But Zach Hiller texted, call me, and I'm like, call me? Well, that's weird, and I responded with a question mark, so he called me, and you could tell he was kind of perturbed and agitated about what was going on, and and he was very insistent on this idea that Dalvin Cook 
is the victim of extortion and an ex-girlfriend, a sergeant in the U.S. military, unlawfully entered his house and there was an altercation and she's lying about him and he, Castle Doctrine, you know, he, he, he's entitled to defend himself. And it's like, all right, slow down. Let's talk this through. And meanwhile, I saw Schefter's tweet. And I was like, dude, what the hell is this? What is this? And initially he was like beating around the bush like he wasn't going to go on the record. I said, hey, if you're not going on the record, we're not doing this. We're not doing this. You went on the record for Schefter with this vague nonsense that I don't understand. You got to tell me what your version of this is. So we posted the story last night, and I was very careful to point out that these are the allegations of Dalvin Cook. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know the name of the person. I had a feeling litigation either had been filed or would be filed because I felt like they were trying to get ahead of it and set the narrative. Then the news comes of the lawsuit being filed. And uh, yeah, shocker, there's two sides to the story. Who would have ever thought? in this day and age especially, that there would be an altercation of some sort, apparently, and the two parties involved in it would have drastically different views about what actually happened. That's been going on for centuries. So that's where we are. And here's the bottom line. No criminal complaint, Miles, which means the league isn't going to get involved. The league isn't going to put him on paid leave. The, the league is going to monitor the situation, and depending upon the outcome of the civil litigation, or if potentially there would be a criminal complaint at some point because there's nothing that keeps that from happening, then things could change. For now, though, this isn't a situation where the Vikings aren't going to have Dalvin Cook. I mean, everybody wants to go straight to football, no matter what the context is. He's going to play. He's going to keep playing. The question is, what happens with this litigation? And what happens is, it's going to take some time, and both sides are going to have the right to flesh out their case and prove that they're right. But nobody can show up, neither side ever, can show up and just summarily say, I'm right, take my word for it. Okay, well, no, that's not how it works. You advance your position, the other person advances their position, and somewhere, somehow, the court system figures it all out. Right. And I, I think that that's what the most important thing is uh, to point out here is that you know you, you cannot just trust one side's um, statement or, you know, po position or whatever it is that they put out there first. And I think that what you said about, you know, the, the Dalvin Cook side trying to control the narrative before this litigation was officially filed, I think that that's a really good way of pointing this out because you cannot just say summarily that Dalvin Cook is obviously the victim and whatever um, positions that come forward in the future will certainly help to prove that claim. And I think that that's something else that came out today um, from Cook's lawyer. So it's just, I think that it's, it would be wrong to pass judgment on anything um, in this particular situation at this time, just based on what we know, right? I mean, we know that there are two sides to the story and we know that it's going to court for litigation. And so I think in order for that to just come out um, and for us to really be responsible about it, you know, we have to actually say, look, that there are two sides to this and we really don't necessarily know what the truth is, but it's really for the courts to determine what comes next. And especially when it relates to football, because as you said, there's no criminal legation right now that's coming through. So it's not like Dalvin Cook is not going to be able to play. And the NFL is still gathering information. And at this point, their position is that he's not going on paid leave. Yeah, uh, and uh, we just continue to monitor and see how it goes. But, you know, this red state, blue state, I almost said the word crap that has infected politics is firmly invading, invading the NFL now. And, and I've got, I'm telling you, emails from people saying, 
why aren't you bashing Dalvin Cook harder after everything you've got to say about Aaron Rodgers? And then I got emails saying, why aren't you accepting Dalvin Cook's version of the facts that he's innocent? It's like, folks, what the hell? All we're doing is presenting the facts and helping people understand what the posture of it is. And you can't just show up with your agent saying, my client is innocent, no further questions, and expect people to believe that. There's a procedure. There's a process. And they tried to put the cart in front of the horse, and maybe it worked to a certain extent, to the extent that people are like, how dare you not accept his version? Both sides are going to have the chance to say what they have to say. And uh, people are mad that I'm not being more aggressive with Dalvin Cook, and people are mad that I'm being too aggressive. And on that point, I have to share with you an email that came through just about 10 minutes ago. I, I, I multitask from time to time, and I'm curious about the feedback we get. You never listen to this what one, I say. That's all right. This is from Linford. No, I listen to everything you say most of the time, as far as I can recall. This is from go. Linford. Hi. Hi. This is an important email I want to share with everybody. After reading about Mike Florio's glee and his use of the woke mob hashtag regarding Aaron Rodgers, I will no longer watch anything on NBC, and Mike should resign or be fired immediately. Mike is a sad individual and is what's wrong with our America. He needs to be fired ASAP. I don't think Linford realizes he sent this to Mike. So <laughs> I, I, I've considered your request, Linford. I won't be firing myself. But thank you for, thank you for your input, and have a nice day. Let's take a break. The NFL is defending Tony Corrente. Shocker. The NFL is defending any and all officiating flaws. What a freaking surprise. We'll discuss that next on PFTPM. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. In Chicago versus Pittsburgh, Bears number 59 is penalized for taunting. He takes several steps toward the Pittsburgh bench, posturing toward their sideline. Taunting is a point of emphasis to promote sportsmanship and respect for opponents. This was recommended by the competition committee and coaches. Okay, uh, look, that's Posturing the outward toward the approach. Uh, listen, l- l- mm. yeah, 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 the the uh, um, <laughs> it's back. Uh, <laughs> I mean, what are we doing? That was that. That, that uh, look, look, um. I hadn't seen that, and I, I wanted to not see it until we showed it. That reminds me of the Al Riveron approach. The Al Riveron approach to explaining controversial calls is to state the rule and then to state in conclusory fashion that the behavior violated the rule without explaining anything. All he said is posturing toward the sideline. I, 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 and this is what the NFL wants. Look, hey, what they want, they get, and I'm done boosting their effort, because they screwed the pooch from a PR standpoint. Back in August, when all of a sudden we find out that there's a point of emphasis for taunting, I I took the heat standing up to explain to people, you can still celebrate. It's not the no fun. Like, it's been four years since they relaxed dramatically the things you can do when you score a touchdown. You just can't do it in somebody's face. And I tried to I tried to get people to understand the reasoning. But you know what? I'm out. I'm done. You're on your own, NFL. You, you've got to explain it yourself because you've gone too far. 
the, what, what Cassius Marsh did the other night was not an example of what they should be trying to take out of the game. You're trying to turn guys into robots, and that's inexcusable, and it's not a reflection. This is what happens when, when you, you don't want human beings to behave like human beings. Because this is a human moment. It's a human reaction. This is the team that cut Cassius March. Let him enjoy himself. Let him have his moment. Who, you know, If you want to avoid fighting, what about that gesture is going to spark a rumble later in the game? Absolutely nothing. And then he, Mike, and then Tony, Car- then Tony Carreni throws his ass into his into his side as he runs by, and then oh, that's no big deal. Like it wasn't even a gesture. I mean, that's the thing, right? I, I I always felt like it was supposed to be a gesture, right? And that's why when Perry Fields talking about he's posturing toward the sideline, what the hell is a posture supposed to do to start a fight? I like that he's not doing anything, but just kind of standing there. And I feel like if he had done something else, right? If he like would have done a throat slash, or if he starts really clapping in the face of somebody, then we, that would uh, advance to the level of taunting to me. But he's just standing there after one of the apex emotional moments of the game where he just made a huge play to get the ball back for his team. And now you're going to say that he's taunting? Like, is this really the spirit of the point of emphasis that we really just want to take all the emotion out of the game because everything that was told in the point of emphasis was you cannot gesture at another team. He didn't gesture by Perry Fuel's own, own, what he said in that clip, he is posturing. And to me, posturing is not the same as making a gesture, but who knows? I mean, maybe he's like saying he's immunized versus being vaccinated. And I'm the one who should figure out the difference. Well, and if we had only asked a follow-up question, oh, wait, we're not allowed to ask follow-up questions because there's no (laughs) transparency, there's no accountability, there's no back and forth. This is the first video we've seen all year from the NFL trying to address any type of controversial call. Their approach has been keep your head low, keep your mouth shut, and the next bright, shiny object is just a matter of a day or two away, and let's just get to the next game, and they'll quit talking about the one that we'd rather they not talk about. And, and that's why they need to have somebody. And I don't know if Perry Fuel can be that guy because I want to see him interact with some questions. It's, he's just reading off of a sheet. Some, anybody could have delivered that. He's just the guy who is saying what someone told him to say. I want to hear someone extemporaneously answer questions about controversial calls, explain to us how the rules apply, how they don't apply. Was it a mistake? Was it not a mistake? Dean Blandino was great at that. Mike Pereira was great at that. And Blandino would still be there if they weren't so damn cheap. And sorry, sorry, NFL, the shoe fits. And maybe the shoe's a little tight and you're too, sh- too cheap to buy one that does fit. But that's what it comes down to. Because if they would have paid Blandino what he's getting from Fox, I-, I, don't, I don't know what he's getting from Fox. And maybe it would have taken more because at Fox, you don't have to deal with all the administrative BS that you have to deal with as the head of officials. But they don't value that position. And, and so what you get are people who lack the skills to be the face and the voice to the public to explain these things. Peter King has said that's the most important function during the season for anyone in the league office. And it's currently abdicated, Miles. Well, and that's really what the big problem is, because I feel like even in that video, he just says it's posturing and then he states what the point of emphasis is and then why the point of emphasis happened. It's not 
anything about why that was applied there, right? And I think that that's one of the big problems with the whole Cassius Marsh thing. It's not just that, you know, he was standing there posturing. You got to explain why exactly that is something that counts as a gesture when the whole thing of why that was a point of emphasis was trying to take fights out of the game. I just, I fail to see how that's going to start a fight. And I understand when you've got somebody like Mike Tomlin, who is a part of the competition committee and then comes out and he says, no, I agree with the way that that was applied. I mean, you know, newsflash, of course he is because that thing is going to benefit his team, right? But at the same time, it's like, you know, he's been very consistent with that in saying that we need to make sure we're cleaning up the game. And I don't really see anything that's dirty in that particular instance. And I, I just, I go back to, you know, if we are going to say that this is a point of emphasis, then I think we also have to think about things subjectively a little bit and think about what's going on in the emotions of the game and how that impacts how somebody might react to something. That is one of the biggest moments of the game. And I just don't feel like in that instance, you give somebody a 15 yard penalty that gives them a first down at a critical moment in the fourth quarter when he's posturing, he's not even gesturing. I, I just, I don't like the way that rule is applied there. And subjectivity is the key word, Miles, because when you have that kind of subjectivity in the decision as to whether or not a foul will be called, when the subjectivity is exercised in the direction of calling the penalty, that's when people start to think the fix is in. And there's two ways the fix can be in. The league wanting a certain outcome or an official who goes rogue. And you have a Tim Donahue situation, potentially. And as I said yesterday, I'm not suggesting that there's a Tim Donahue situation currently in the NFL. But when stuff like this happens, that's when people start wondering, is something more going on than just a fair and appropriate and even-handed administration and application of the NFL's rulebook? Let's take a break. Halfway through the season, we're going to look at our surprises and disappointments in the 2020 NFL campaign. We'll do that next on PFTPM. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Exactly halfway through the NFL's hashtag biggest season ever, 272 games, 136 are done. We're going to look at our surprises and disappointments so far. A double draft. So let's start with the surprises. Miles, you're up. Uh, my first surprise is that the Arizona Cardinals are legitimately good. I mean, I, for before the season, would have put Cliff Kingsbury on the top of my uh, coaches that should be on the hot seat list. And now, you know, it couldn't have been, it couldn't be more cool, right? I mean, the fact that they went up to the Bay Area and beat the brakes off the San Francisco 49ers last week with Colt McCoy at quarterback 
And without DeAndre Hopkins, they no longer have J.J. Watt anymore for this season either. He's done for the year. I mean, I am just, I could not be more impressed with what the Cardinals have done. They haven't really played a clunker game. And I, I would say that even with that game that they lost to the Green Bay Packers. I mean, they've been in every single game. They really have an argument that they should have won every single game. So they look like the best team in football right now. And that is a pretty big surprise to me. Yeah, look, I agree with you, and I expected them to underachieve again this year in the toughest division in football, at least going into the season. The AFC North has emerged as the best division top to bottom in football right now, and in the NFC West, it's because of uh, a couple of the teams who have underachieved this year and are under 500. My first pick, and this is recency bias talking, but I think the first half of the season was capped with a performance by Justin Fields that makes him the best of the five rookie quarterbacks so far, and it will be interesting to see... It will be interesting to see if the Bears finish around 6-11 and 11, and if the Patriots make the playoffs. Who's the rookie of the year offensively between Mac Jones and Justin Fields? Because if Fields keeps playing the way he did the other night, the numbers may not be off the charts, but he's looking pretty damn good. And he reminded me a lot of the guy that we saw Ohio State against Clemson in the college football semifinal that first got me thinking he could be as high as the second quarterback taken in the draft based on how he played that night. So, you know, Bears fans, you're losing. And I know you're not happy about that, but you got to be happy with what you have in Justin Fields. And, yeah, it would be nice if he would have been the guy from day one of the offseason program, training camp, preseason. Maybe he'd be farther along. But you got to be happy with where he is. And I think right now, Miles, he's the best of the five. I think that's interesting, Mike. I mean, I don't know if he's better than Mac Jones by my count quite yet. I mean, I, I thought that some of the things he did in the first half were a little bit more suspect. But when you do bring uh, the Bears back like that, and frankly, I mean, it was a game that they could have won, maybe should have won, if the Bears defense gets a stop there at the end. So, I mean, if, yeah, if I'm a Chicago fan, then I would probably feel pretty good about the fact that it looks like You've got a franchise quarterback going forward. Um, but speaking of that game uh, against the Steelers, I mean, that'd be my second surprise, honestly, is that the Steelers are five and three right now. And frankly, I mean, I don't know if we really should be surprised given the fact that Mike Tomlin has been there, you know, since the Bush administration, and they've never had a season below 500. But Ben Roethlisberger is old as he is and frankly as limited as he can be right now as a quarterback in his late 30s. I just didn't necessarily think that they would be able to win games like they've been able to win games. And, you know, I know that they've got a good defense. I know they've got a defensive player of the year candidate in TJ Watt, but I'm still impressed by the way that they have been able to get to two games over 500 at basically the midway point of the season. I hadn't thought of that, that Tomlin's been there since the Bush administration. And then it occurred to me Tom Brady was drafted during the Clinton administration. Yeah. So I always love it when we can put it in those terms. For the longest time, the Arizona Cardinals had not won a postseason game since the Truman administration. Whoa. So that changed. And what that changed city were they in then? <laughs> that, probably Chicago, but that changed in Chicago, 2000, right? yeah. 2008. The year they made the playoffs at 9-7, and seven, everybody said how bad they are, and they rattled off, uh, what, three straight postseason wins. All right, um, next one for me is the Titans. Lost week one to the Cardinals, won a couple of games, lost to the Jets, 2-2. Two and two. Uh, You know, they're not very good. They've reeled off five straight wins. They've run four in a row as the underdog, and they got that win to cap their, their first half of the season. 
over a Rams team that I thought was going to beat them easily. I thought they were going to cover the spread easily. The defense has been great. The offense good enough. We didn't really see the offense get tested because the defense was so good and the offense didn't have to do much. But I'm very impressed with what the Titans are doing. I know that they still have this vibe of they're kind of boring. They're kind of not relevant. I don't know why that is, but it just is. But uh, not very boring and extremely relevant so far this year, Miles. I am curious to see how that offense continues to evolve without Derrick Henry because I had somebody in my Twitter mentions after I wrote that, you know, for at least one night, Derrick, no Derrick Henry, no problem. And they got really mad at me because I was disrespecting the Titans. And I don't really understand why that is when, you know, he was basically like 80 to 85% of what they were doing revolved around Derrick Henry. So I don't know. I guess we'll still see. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the Titans have been quite good. And frankly, they're better than I thought that they would be after losing Arthur Smith uh, as their offensive coordinator, which leads me to my third surprise, which is that Atlanta is 4-4, four and four, and they're at 500 right now after eight games. I didn't see that coming. Frankly, I thought Atlanta was going to be like my favorite Canadian jazz fusion band. Bad, bad, not good. And they still could be bad, bad, not good. We don't know. But... You know, and they've had kind of a weak schedule, but I just feel like the fact that they are four and four right now says something about what Arthur Smith is building down there, especially given how they went to New Orleans and beat the Saints after blowing that lead there in the fourth quarter in the Superdome. For them to still be able to stay resolute, for Matt Ryan to hit Cordell Patterson down that right sideline, and then Koo makes the kick, man. Like, they're maybe building a little bit something a little bit quicker than I thought they would in Atlanta. Yeah, and they're in the thick of things. Right now, the seventh seed, and there's a scramble, a mad dash for that seventh seed. The sixth seed could be in play as well, especially now that the Saints have lost to the Falcons. Last one for me, the Cowboys. They, they, they have underachieved so often, and, and I know they lost to the Broncos. I, I think that's a fluke. I think we're going to see the Cowboys get back on the horse. I think that the coaches did not have them ready to go. They believed the press clippings. They they thought they were just going to easily steamroll the Broncos, and the Broncos just caught them at, at, a, at a perfect time. I think the Cowboys are going to be fine. They're clearly going to win the division. The question is, will they be good enough to compete with the best teams in the conference when January rolls around? But I didn't even think they'd be good enough to win the division. I thought Washington would take the next step. Washington has gone down the crapper, frankly, and the Cowboys have have finally lived up to the hype that um, that Jerry Jones every single year continues to, to throw upon that team, even though it seems like far more often than not they fail to live up to those expectations, Miles. Well, I have one question after all the things you just said there, Mike. As somebody representing the 30 and under demographic, what are press clippings? That, exactly, yeah. Look it up. <laughs> Google it. Google it. I heard you, I heard you and Shereen talking about that the other day. I actually do know what press clippings are. Uh, let's get to our disappointments, though. You put, the press, with... you put the press clippings on the bulletin board. <laughs> what you do yes yes well my head football coach in uh, high school used to say we it's like the perfume board because it's nice to look at and smell but if you drink it it'll make you sick right so i guess the cowboys you know drank the perfume a little bit all right anyway disappointments though uh my first one would be sam darnold and you know i think it's because he kind of just is who we all figured he might be after that tenure with the jets i mean he just kind of is the same guy and you know i, I said this after they went to 3-0, and but he was still turning the ball over a little bit, right? Or he was at least you know, throwing interceptable passes. He was fumbling. And those things start to catch up with you. 
And frankly, they have for Sam Darnold over the last few weeks. And now he's going to be out for probably four to six weeks with that shoulder injury. P.J. Walker is going to get a chance to come in and show what he can do. I don't know if he's going to be much better than Sam Darnold. But right now, Sam Darnold's got the third worst passer rating among any qualified passers, right? The only two that are worse right now are Zach Wilson and Justin Fields. So I think that tells you a lot about Darnold right now. And P.J. Walker probably couldn't be much worse. And Darnold's going to be gone. David Tepper is desperate to find a franchise quarterback, and he's willing to burn his way through non-franchise quarterbacks and come to the conclusion, this guy's not going to be one of the best in the league, so I'm moving on. Because, hey, you could argue Teddy Bridgewater would have been better than Sam Darnold. The point is they're trying to find a franchise quarterback. They know where Teddy's ceiling is. They didn't know where Sam Darnold's is, and it'll continue, and it'll continue until they find the guy that becomes one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And I raise that for one very important reason. I know we got to move on, but... My, my day started about 12 hours ago on WFNZ in Charlotte, and they asked me about Matt Rule possibly being on the hot seat. And you know what? Ordinarily, he's only in his second season. He's got the big contract. It'd be a big buyout. But if David Tepper has decided this guy's not going to be the next Vince Lombardi or anything close to it, I wouldn't be surprised if David Tepper writes the check. There's no salary cap to worry about because he understands, and he said this himself on Amazon's All or Nothing a couple of years ago, the league is set up for everybody to be 8-8. Eight and eight. And with a great coach, great GM, great quarterback, that's how you push it in your favor. And if he's decided that Matt Rule isn't the guy I thought he was going to be, hey, maybe he's good enough, but he's not what I thought he was going to be, wouldn't surprise me if he says there's another coach out there that may be greater than Matt Rule. Wouldn't surprise me. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying it wouldn't surprise me. All right, what did surprise me from a struggle standpoint, the 49ers. All, All the hope, all the hype, and as Mike Sando of The Athletic pointed out, the other day that 13 and three season in 2019 is treated as the rule but it's actually the exception you take that season out and Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch are 19 and 37 and that is unacceptable and the 49ers currently are unacceptable and they have a hell of a test miles against your what wants to be Cleveland used to be Cleveland Rams a long time ago (laughs) on Monday night if they lose that and they fall to three and six, and man, I don't know how many losses it's going to take before you're just done. But I, I'm stunned the 49ers are where they are. But I, I can't say I completely didn't see it coming because they seem do- so discombobulated about their quarterback situation. Well, that is the interesting thing, right? I mean, and we talked about you know the Arizona Cardinals and the fact that they came in there and beat the brakes off them with Colt McCoy. That's not really an acceptable thing. And I think that especially is where you're just like, man, what exactly is going on up there? And when you have that 13-3 and season that got them to the Super Bowl, and maybe, you know, if Jimmy Garoppolo hits Emmanuel Sanders down there on that deep shot in the middle of the field, we're having a different sort of conversation. But he didn't. And now, you know, like you said, like 19 and 37 in the seasons that they didn't get to the Super Bowl. So it's yeah, I think it's fair to be very disappointed in them. Um, Let me talk to about how the Bengals have totally flopped after that big win that they had over the Baltimore Ravens. And I mean, you mentioned sort of recency bias, but if you look at these last two weeks that the Bengals have had, look, they were listless against the Jets. They let somebody we've never heard of basically dink and dunk their way to an offensive player of the week in the AFC and Mike White. And yeah, I know he's going to be able to get another shot at starting there, but look, it's just, it's something that you didn't expect from the Bengals after they were able to beat both Pittsburgh and Baltimore on the road that they then go to New Jersey and then just get, you know, flopped by the Jets. 
And then they really did not play well against the Cleveland Browns on Sunday either, getting beat real bad at home. So they've got a bye week right now. They've got to make sure that they regroup. Otherwise, I mean, they're not going to make the playoffs. And frankly, I thought that they might be able to run away with that division after they beat Baltimore the way they did. Yeah, look, I, I agree. And uh, they, they read their press clippings uh, a little bit too aggressively. Let's rip through these last three because we're getting up against it. The Vikings, for all reasons I've stated over the past two weeks, hashtag purple purgatory. This was the year they're supposed to be a playoff team. Right now they're looking like not a playoff team, and I don't see them improving offensively or defensively, and I think big changes could be coming in Minnesota. You're up. All right, let me get to Washington because, like you just said, I mean, they've gone into the crapper, right? I mean, they are now 29th in points allowed and in yards allowed after being fourth and second in those categories last year. It makes no sense. I have no idea why they're so bad, but they are a real disappointment to me. And for me, the last one, the Chiefs struggling. They were the offseason Super Bowl winner favorite and that continued into the early start of the regular season. And, and they just, they, they've lost their magic. They can't get it back. And maybe they'll be trying to get it back with Odo Beckham Jr. I still continue to check to see whether there's any sign, any reporting that OBJ is going to be a Kansas City Chief. Hasn't happened yet. We'll take a break and wrap up this Wednesday edition of PFTPM right after this. Well, because Miles spoke so much during the rest of the show, we don't have any time to get to the mailbag. We got one question from our good friend A Red Zone out. Does having part-time referees actually shield the NFL from accusations of fixing games? I don't know about that. I think having part-time referees opens the NFL to criticism for being cheap, and they are, and <laughs> not having the best possible referees. I was talking to somebody about this last night, and I'm going to write about it at PFT if I remember, Miles. Look, you could just gather all the referees during the week in Dallas – and, and review film and make sure everybody's on the same page when it comes to interpreting and applying the rules. Do it in person. That's what you could do with full-time officials. Well, you could do that, but, I mean, you can still do it by Zoom right now, and I feel like that's something that maybe the NFL should do. You could keep them busy all year round. You just got to be willing to pay them. That's it for today. Thanks for some of your time. Have a great evening. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.